0: At that point, I thought I was going to end up like my mother. Is there anyone here who has a family member or themselves or anything who suffers from a mental illness? Yeah, right? And at that point, I'm in my late teens, I thought I would become my mother. And so I was like, fuck it, let's just have fun. Like, this is going to happen to me anyways. Like, I will never amount to be anything or anyone or have a beautiful life. I see you nodding your head, right? And so I went to California and I had fun and then there was this aha moment. I was like, wait a second. You and you and you and you and you are all meant to be something greater than that. The big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion and healing lives. We are no longer silent.
1: We are here.
0: The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times best-selling author and founder of the nonprofit The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend. And yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition no more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out, everybody talking about. The big silence. The big
1: silence. My name is Leslie Bailey. I am the co-founder and CEO of Indie Maven, as well as the space that we're in tonight, which is called Maven Space. It is a co-working and social club for women um, by women in our community. And we are opening up on Monday. So we're membership based, but we'll also have a lot of fun programming like this that is open to the community as well. I have the pleasure first of introducing... Rachel tonight, who is going to read a little bit of her poetry from the book, and then we'll go ahead and move into a discussion with Karina. Thank you, Leslie, and thank you for everyone that is here
2: to join us for Karina's launch of the memoir here in her Indianapolis stop. It's really special to join my sister in our hometown and share this experience with all of you. It's been a really special journey with my sister. Most of you probably know that our mom was very sick last year, and it, it brought us really close together. And it's been amazing to join Karina in her mission with The Big Silence to help other people and spread awareness about mental illness and mental health issues and do the work together. This first poem is called Homeless, and it's in Karina's book. I was really honored when Karina asked to include some of my work in her memoir. Chapter 19 is called Turkey Run State Park, and this poem opens that chapter because if you've read the book or you're planning to, most of our teen years and early 20s were marked by our mom being a missing person or a homeless person, and then that happened again actually about 10 years later. So um, I wrote this one the second time around when I was a little older and it was easier to kind of deal with the feelings that came along with with having a parent that lives on the streets. Homeless. She chose to live on wildflowers and clover. She chose to drink mud collected in ditches. Some might question my choice to use the word chose. She chose not to take her injections She chose to live on the road, her eyes so blue, everything she sees or doesn't drowns. It's possible I will never see her, she always moves farther away. While she wonders, I wait for news of her death, hope she might dissolve unnoticed except for the bit of her I can't spit out. Biting my tongue, the thick red split in the white coating. I choke every morning, my head says quit. Um, there's a lot of emotion that obviously I think one thing was learning how to Discover what thoughts might have been put in my head that were from my mom, and and how to find myself. And so, that feeling in the back of your throat, that biting my tongue, was like, wait, is this a residual feeling? Is this something that's left over? Am I hearing her voice in my head, or is this from myself? So, I'll just say that because I know it was a little heavy. <laughs> and this next one is called "I Forgot How to Pray." And this poem came, and actually, I hope you'll hear the song later. My dad put this poem to music, but this was about realizing that there's something more. But because you never believed in yourself before, maybe it's hard to uh, to like know that you're changing and know that you're moving forward and uh, and trying to learn how to go with the flow and not be afraid of that other great. I forgot how to pray. For a while, I forgot how to pray. Every morning, I woke up vacant to gray light seeping through the shades. And now when I look back, every bone in my neck cracks. What was I searching for? I wonder who am I looking for? I've got my hand on the door in front of me. My fingers tremble as I turn the key. When I depend on someone, can I depend on me? Every side is sliding. I dreamed I drove into the river, but my car didn't sink. I had someone I loved beside me, and the car didn't sink. We careened. Wildly on the water, crashing through the currents, skidding over whirlpools. I was driving on the water as if it were a road, but I was barely in control. And I didn't sink, and neither did you. When every side is sliding, if I depend on someone, can I depend on you? Will you depend on me? I've got my hand on the door in front of me. But my fingers tremble as I turn the key. Can I depend on me when every side is sliding? I always slip through. Thank you so much. And, <laughs> and I'm
0: excited to introduce Karina and Leslie up here. Also, say that she is executive director of the Big Silence Nonprofit Foundation. Um, um, I got her to leave her job of 10 years as executive director at another 501c3 and come work with us. So thank you. And it's been beautiful to work together and
1: be here in Indiana. Hi. Hi. First off, I think we should all address the elephant in the room, which is these amazing pants and also your scarf. What Can you tell me, is there there's something behind this? Because that can't just be I, a coincidence. Is that just a coincidence? I don't know. Well, I
0: have a thing for happy faces. This is the big silence T-shirt. Go. And then I found this skirt. I actually was going to wear a different I'm dress, smart. and then I couldn't fit it on. Um, <laughs> so I pulled this out of my tour bus closet Well, and pulled it together. It's fabulous.
1: Thank you. So I always know I'm getting ready to talk to someone interesting when I'm preparing questions, and I'm like, I can't stop writing questions. I have so many questions. Where to go? And I don't want to keep you here all night on a beautiful Friday evening, but I've tried to narrow it down um, into a couple different sections. So don't worry, we'll get to the book. But I know, um, obviously, being here in your hometown tonight, I wanted to just start off with that. Um, So you grew up in Indianapolis, went to Broad Ripple High School, which you did point out is, I think, no longer there, right? Um, yeah. Sad. But what are your some of your most kind of favorite or just profound memories from living in Indianapolis?
0: Just Broader itself. I was so grateful to grow up in such an artistic community. And, I mean... I hung out at the bridge back in the days when the skaters were like spray painting and we did drugs together on the bridge. But I mean, it was just such, it helped me be creative and be in nature. I just, I loved growing up in Indiana because I do feel like it is very artistic and creative and allowed us to really just express ourselves in so many ways.
1: So at 18 you talk about this in the book, moving to California, which was not exactly a choice. To move. So I turned 18 and was like, I'm moving to California. And no plan. Didn't work out very well. You had a different reason and purpose for going to California. Um, and if you want to talk a little bit about that. But then also, there was obviously something about California that also then kept you there and has mm-hmm. kept you there. So can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, well... Number one, if you don't know, I'm also the co-founder of a fitness community called Tone It Up. Uh, we founded it in 2009. It's the largest fitness community for women. We have an app. We have protein. We have cookies. You can buy it everywhere. But I always was interested in fitness. And I would watch my mom, when I was a little girl, work out to Jane Fonda and Kathy Smith. And I was like, well, one day I want to do that. In my head, I thought I was always going to move to like the East Coast or something for some reason. And then when my mom disappeared and my dad had to hire a private investigator to find her, she was in Los Angeles. And so I thought I was going to go out to Los Angeles and bring her home. And I cleaned the house before dad left, made sure it was sparkling clean for her to return. And then she didn't come home. And then after high school, um, I went out there and, again, thought I was going to bring her home and fell in love with California and didn't go to college at IU. Sorry, Dad. I know you were really mad. (laughs) He was like, I'm disowning you. I'm (laughs) taking your car away. It's like, I'm going to California. But as the trip came up, my dad was like, I'm going to go with you and drive you out there because you're going to do this anyway. And, um,
1: yeah. So what did you think? I'm going to go to California and, or did you get that far? I didn't get that far. Well, the rave parties were way better in California (laughs) than Ohio or Indiana at that time. So you are going to rave.
0: Yeah. I mean, at that point, I thought I was going to end up like my mother. Is there anyone here who has a family member or themselves or anything who suffers from a mental illness? Yeah, right? And at that point, I'm um, in my late teens, I thought I would become my mother. And so I was like, fuck it, let's just have fun. Like, this is going to happen to me anyways. Like, I will never amount to be anything or anyone or have a beautiful life. I see you nodding your head, right? And so I went to California and I had fun. And then there was this aha moment. I was like wait a second, you and you and you and you and you are all meant to be something greater than that. And I also haven't mentioned in this talk, but it's in the book about a suicide attempt when I was 13. And I'm so grateful to be here. And um, I always say that it's more work to pull yourself out of that darkness
1: than to stay in it, but it is
0: so worth it.
1: Actually, so I um, wrote down what you said in this passage in our Maven interview about that aha moment that you just referred to. You said, my entire teenage years were very dark. In my own depression, I turned to drug abuse and self-harm. And when I moved to LA, I just had this moment. I was on a three-day bender with crack cocaine and who else knows what. I was partying at the Hollywood clubs and still up at a park and coming down. And I had this feeling inside that there was something greater that my life was meant to be. And so from that moment, I worked myself through that and decided to make a change. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that was, I mean, just the most profound part of that interview. And you said, you went on to say that you did that with a lot of time and therapy. Yay, therapy. I was there at three o'clock today. (laughs) FaceTime, yes. A lot of self-help books. So I'm curious if you can remember back to that time. This is like a very specific question. What did the next 24 to 48 hours look like after that? And then what did the next week look like after that? Because I think we all often like here, and I pulled myself up, and then here I am. And we know that there was work, Mm -hmm. but very specifically, what was that immediate, what happened immediately after that? Uh Aha. Well, I'm in that park, and you, the sun
0: is rising and blaring in your face, and you're like, what am I doing? And then you're like on the come down, and you're like, super depressed. And then, yeah, it was the self-help books. It was thinking back to when was I my happiest? And I was like, oh, that was when I was running a half marathon when I was a little girl training at school 70 and I crossed the finish line and I was active and that made me happy. And I was like, okay, I want to start moving my body again. So I signed up for a triathlon. So like you go home and do this? No, I literally just like went home and signed up for a triathlon. I hated training, hated every moment of it. I was in California, jumping in the ocean, freezing cold water, running, biking. It was terrible. But I said, I have never actually followed through with anything. I'm going to follow through with this. And so I did. I trained. I did the race. And... I crossed the finish line. I said, oh, I can accomplish something. That was the start of saying, you know what? You just crossed this finish line by myself and crying, of course. And I was like, okay, this is step one. Sign up for something and follow through. Like following through with like the smallest thing.
1: Most people are like, I'm going to sign up for a 5K. (laughs) (laughs) And even that is ambitious. (laughs) So good for you. I don't do things small. I do them big. (laughs) Right, right. So is that when you would say your fitness journey began? That, and
0: I, yeah, I became a personal trainer. I also traded Hollywood nights for surfing at sunrise. So I got into surfing, and so I couldn't go out to the club (laughs) because I had had to surf in the morning, which was more spiritual and more... uh, healing, and it felt way better than waking up hungover in the morning. It was the worst.
1: So take us through then. Okay. So, so I just casually did a triathlon or something, right? As, as one does. And then you progress to now having this incredible brand that I personally have watched over the years grow. And um, I have to say that the, the prenatal workouts have saved me through two pregnancies. So thank nice. you yes. for those. But how did that How did that journey? Because again, you clearly don't do anything small. But when you were, was it thinking back to your childhood and going, okay, well, I was happy. I wanted to do that as a kid. So now I'm just going to go do that. Now I'm just going to be a fitness instructor. I always look at things of like,
0: life is not happening to me. It's happening for me. What can you learn? And what I learned from the past in a just disruptive home and childhood is that don't sweat the small stuff and like you can do anything now. And I really just have that mentality of taking risk because you've already hit rock bottom. So what can go worse? Starting the company. So I met Kat, my co-founder, um, at a gym, of course. And she's the one who is doing your your
1: pre and postnatal programs. <laughs> Highly recommend.
0: She's about to give birth, probably like today.
1: (laughs) So, you meet her, and then you're like, How do we, how does this go into a big business?
0: I never take anything with the intention of big business. I take it with the intention of heart and giving back. So, I, when starting Tone It Up, I wanted to be able to share how fitness saved my life by moving my body, by just getting out there and also teaching women, number one, that you can be fit, you can be healthy, but you can have fun. You don't have to be strict. When we started Tone It Up, Jillian Michaels, dear friend of mine, love you, Jillian, but she was like yelling at people on the biggest loser, you know. <laughs> so we wanted to change and disrupt the fitness industry to make it fun and make it community. And that's what we did.
1: So, what has been you, you just said, kind of, once you hit rock bottom, you can kind of do anything. So, in that case, do you still experience challenges? Like, is, are are they smaller because you just have that perspective? And if what have been the biggest challenges as far as your career goes in business, in life, challenges are going to happen
0: always. So it's accepting that I've learned acceptance. But then realizing that without the challenges and the the deepness and the darkness, you don't have the light, right? So in business, in personal, in relationships, in marriage, in everything, it's the ups and downs and learning that you're gonna be okay. You just have to have that toolbox, right? Like, of okay, I don't feel good today. What do I need to do? I need to get in nature. I need to eat healthy food. I need to move my body. I need to meditate. I need to go. For me, I love water. I don't know. I'm an Aries and it's a fire sign. Like water to me cools me down. It's just knowing that it's okay to not be okay and feel right, but just have that list of things that will make you feel better. And of course, calling people, being like, hey, today I don't feel all right. Or hey, I'm, you know, work. Trust me, I own a multi million dollar company, right? It is not easy. But I love what I do and I love that it's purpose driven and I love that it's the purpose that we have between tone it up and what I'm doing with the big silence. We are literally saving lives. And that's what really matters.
1: I'm assuming that's the question which is the most rewarding part. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's not supposed to be easy. And so then tell us. And it would be great if it was, but it's an it's (laughs) (laughs) when. I think oftentimes that tends to be, from what I've seen, a natural progression for a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs to go to the direction of starting a nonprofit about the thing that matters to them. Can you talk about how the big silence came to be? And I know the the mission, I think we're all aware, but specifically, if you could say, like, who's the ideal person that is going to benefit from The Big Silence? Who who, who, who? to you do you want to see affected by this?
0: The Big Silence, first of all, started out as my book that I started writing five years ago, had a different working title. And then I started a podcast and I was not planning on a podcast, but a ton of the Tone It Up community was writing me all these messages and DMs and was like, I need this advice and this. I'm like, okay, I need to start a podcast because I'm not the expert. I am not a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of people who want to have these conversations. So then that was called The Big Silence. And then I always wanted to start a nonprofit. And it kind of just came about just out of a passion because I don't want anyone out here to be 12, 13-year-old Karina hurting herself, attempting suicide, abusing herself, because back then there were no resources. So
1: it's, this is it. This is what we're doing. We're making noise. Did you see an increase in well, first off, that's amazing. I just want to recognize that. That's not, we don't just move on from that. That's huge. But over the last couple of years, this has become, this is a topic I've been talking mm-hmm. about a lot at events and things, the whole self-care thing, right? Because I think, and especially someone who's like, there's there's fitness as a, we get up and we move our bodies and we go surfing and we get in nature. And then there's fitness, which is a business, right? Which is also the world you're in, Um how have you seen the last couple of years affect especially women that in our in your community when it comes to self-care and when it comes to um just the the toll the last couple of years have taken and and what what do you say to them and what, or what were the themes that came up just how has this like cuz you have that perspective of being the person that is getting It's all that coming to you, right? That's a lot.
0: It's very heavy. A lot of stories are shared, and I give everyone individual attention because it's so important. From even we have a a crisis text line. You can text HERO to seven four one seven four one for free counseling. Suicide rates are up, especially in our children right now. So the more that we talk about it and get people talking. It's so important. And in the Tone It Up community, even women are struggling. You had your kids at home for the past two years. You uh, are not going to work. It's It's been really intense. So we're just here to be a resource, do the best that we possibly can. I mean, it's not always the best, but we've definitely, through the big silence, we've saved a lot of
1: lives. I can tell you that. It's amazing. And so we've talked the podcast and – now the same name in the book title, um, and I want to make sure we have some time for questions. If if anyone wants to start thinking about their questions now, um, we'll talk about the book a little bit. But what made you decide now is the time to write a memoir? So I started writing the memoir five years ago. It was more about a
0: journal. Um, to get my thoughts and my emotions out. So five years ago, my mother was in the hospital and the doctor said she's got two weeks to live, put her in hospice, and Rachel flew out to California. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I actually... So she was in Seattle at the time. If you've read the book, the whole story's in there. My husband and I moved her to California, got her really good doctors, got her to change her diet. She was eating like... Microwave meals when we cleaned out her cabin in Seattle. Got her lifting some water bottles at first, got her walking again, and she was healthy for five years. But it was at that time, five years ago, I was just like, I need to start putting this on paper as my own, like I said, journal, because I was going through so much. And my mom was always very connected to me. My sister had a very different relationship, and my sister would have a different story. But she always came to me with her delusions of schizophrenia. And I was always just had a different relationship with her. So I could never let her down. Um, Terry Cole, psychotherapist I've worked with. She said, you're an overachieving, um, Bobby, what is, (laughs) codependent. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) Working through that. Um, (laughs) But... uh, yeah, so I just started writing, and I thought I was going to write the memoir in a year, but I just listened to myself and my instincts, and I just kept writing because the story wasn't over, and then last year in 2021, I was like, okay, I finished the book, but then my mom passed, and I was like, okay, now I got to write an epilogue, so I wrote an epilogue, um, and then yeah, I just now then once it felt right with my intuition I was like okay we're going to release it and May is Mental Health Awareness Month so that's why we're on the road we released the
1: book and here we are with all of you how have you been taking care this is this is off the cuff how have you been taking care <laughs> of your own mental health because you have a packed schedule especially right now and like being on the road so
0: so because my I'm normally like a scheduled person, like wake up at this time, meditate, have my coffee or my lemon water, do this, you know. Um, I'm very off schedule. I rest. I sleep when I need to, like Bobby can <laughs> say yes. When I need to rest, like after an event or being on the road or doing interviews while on the road or filming podcasts and then also my toner up work, if I need to rest, I allow my myself that time. Whether that's in silence, if that's with my Pomeranians, maybe Tiki can come hang out with everyone later. She's in the bus. I just allow myself, Grace, I think we put too much pressure on ourselves to like go, go, go in that hustle culture that I've gotten to a part, point where I'm like,
1: nope, not going to take this Zoom. Not going to take that call. And maybe also a little too much pressure on ourselves now that I asked that question to <laughs> overthink what, like, oh, you rest. Oh, that makes sense, Magical. Right? <laughs> Like, tell us your secrets. It's got to be more sleep. than that, right? I, I, oh, you sleep. Mm, I okay. rest. And maybe I watch like Mental Note. Yeah, a crappy Netflix show. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so something you just said, and you were talking about having a very different relationship with your mom than your sister, and codependency. And I had actually written. um a quote here. So Mary Carr, one of my favorite authors, has also written many memoirs um, and a book on writing memoirs. And I was recalling uh, an interview she did with Terry Gross on NPR. And I don't know if you've ever listened to this and if you haven't, we'll get get it on on your list. list. She was talking about how she, well, I wrote down one thing she said, if dysfunction was all you needed to write a great memoir, most of us would have written great ones. And she tells a story about throwing away 1,200 finished pages because ultimately she's like, it didn't feel right. They weren't right. She's like, it's not that I was lying. It just, it was my experience. And then she talks about like her codependency and wanting to make sure that other people were like, yes, that's exactly what happened. I totally agree with it, but we all have different experiences. And so like, what, how you remember something could be very different than how your dad or your sister or anybody else. Right. And that's a, that is a challenge with writing memoir. So did anything ever come up like that for you during the process? And what was important for you to keep in mind for your personal process? Because it's, um, it's a weighty thing to write a memoir when there are other people involved, as there always are.
0: Yeah. Uh, number one, I started writing when I was super young, like 11 or 12, and I have all of my journals, like a stack over the years that I still have. So that was really helpful. And also during the writing process, I interviewed my sister and my dad and My dad had a lot more memory of the things that, like, I didn't remember. And also Rachel, because she's two years older than me. So they were part of the process to interview and ask, like, you know, what happened here? Where can I fill in the blanks? Um, So, and again, I, I mentioned in the beginning of the book, I'm like, this is my story, but it's also my mother's and my family's story, uh, but yeah, my family was fully involved. And also, Bobby, I interviewed you too. Sorry, didn't mean to leave you out.
1: <laughs> but then you also didn't let anyone read it until it was published, right?
0: Yeah. I, yeah, because I was scared. I So I probably had like 500 pages and then I was like, okay, this take this out. But then, and then I added stuff back in because I was like, I shouldn't say this because I'd have too much judgment. And then I was like, well, why am I writing a memoir? I'm like, Put that back in. There's just certain like relationships I was in that I took that out because I didn't feel like it mattered for the purpose of the book, which was a mother-daughter relationship in the family. Um, but yeah, there's no holding back. I didn't want anyone to read it, obviously, but you know, it exposes a lot of our family, and so many people are like, Wow, I didn't realize you went through that. And I was nervous, but then I, at the same time, I didn't care because I feel like when you break the silence and you just speak and be like, here it is all out there, then it's very healing.
1: Well, we're so glad you did. Thank
0: you. Me too.
1: Feels good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because nothing, that's, that is, that's so much of toxicity, right? And so much of unhealthiness is just keeping things inside and not talking about things. And so to, I think, be able to do that and do that on your own terms and then just confidently say, I feel good about this decision. I yeah. mean, must be also very freeing.
0: Yeah. Because even in the beginning of starting to tone it up, I was to cat. I was like, no one can know. <laughs> this is so deep and like dark. I'm a fitness... Expert, but then I was like, "Wait a second, no!" And once you start opening up, and then you start healing each other, right? When we start talking about it, you're like, "Oh, open up those conversations where you don't have to hold it inside."
1: So now we want to hold space for anyone else that wants yes. to. This is a safe space. It's okay <laughs> if anyone has any questions. We have a couple minutes that we can those but, yeah, I wanted to ask you, you know, we always cry over sadness and sad
2: things, but do you remember when all of a sudden you started the tears
1: came because you just felt that happy again? I and mean, then you're like, you know what? It feels great to be happy and to just feel good.
0: Ever since I launched the book, the podcast, The Nonprofit, I cry more and more. Everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, I love crying now. I'm like, this is this, this is beautiful. <laughs> And I literally think it was just recently where I was, like, so happy to cry and feel and just, like, release the pain. Like, the pain is coming out of my body, especially after my mother passed last September. It's like I had 30 years of trauma that's stuck in here. And now everything is being released. And so I just cry because I'm just like, yes, it is out.
1: Crying makes you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? I I have a dysfunctional relationship with my mom, too. And she, you know, Ashley was just saying, my sister was just saying to me, you're so hard on yourself. And I think that, I don't know if it's the, all the trauma or what it is that, you know, I set the level so high for myself. It's almost like, teasing myself that i can't reach it do you understand what i mean
0: what are you trying to reach
1: you know i have ideas for like my business and i have ideas for i have ideas for what my son's life needs to look like what my life needs to look like what you know i mean just expectation she has that overachieving codependent thing happening
0: <laughs> dad would you and, like to speak on this and I'm with and I'm with my dad's a therapist
3: by the way and I'm with You know, sometimes at at the root of that, we have a... um, Please do. uh, You know, we grew up with, um, where shame in our family defines our sense of self. And so we kind of operate from that place and never feel that we're enough or good enough and trying to uh, continue to strive towards that, maybe through performing better or getting people's approvals and... You know, and just uh, losing ourselves. And, and and, you know, and shame can manifest itself in so many different broken behaviors. And so it's getting back to that place of of being more uh, compassionate to yourself and and realizing there's a lot of cognitive errors that you've picked up on, a lot of misbeliefs maybe that have driven that uh, sense of self that you've been struggling with because you are a person of value. And maybe you've bought in, so what happens, you've bought into a lot of misbeliefs about that. And maybe from, uh, if you look at different uh, influences of that, maybe uh, family systems, you know, uh, different con- contributed to that. Maybe everybody in a dysfunctional family has done the best they can. It's fortunate if we have healthy families, but not, but some don't. It's maybe along the spectrum there of what's healthy and unhealthy and some, you know... Uh, But getting to this place of maybe doing things that are more self-validating for you and hanging around people that want to promote your higher good, you're probably doing better than you think you are. Okay? Because we come from that place of shame. Dispute that false belief. Wait a minute, here it comes again. I don't have to attach myself to that false belief today. That's That's garbage I can throw away. Tie it up, put it in the dumpster, not go back out tomorrow and pick it out again. Just let it go. Let him let the dump truck take it away.
0: I mean, the fact that you were able to even speak up and say that means that you are stronger than you think you are, and you are better than your, what you're telling yourself. I think with my mom, too, I never had never had her approval. To the last day, when I was with her on her bedside for three days in hospice, last September, and she just knew how
3: to, and I was like, okay. I don't know if you wanted to share this, but for me, (laughs) have you read the book? (laughs) You know, because I was thinking about, as your mom was in her final days, and I was trying to come up with some way for me to reconcile the past too, because it was all busted up mess. Yeah, so, but in this moment, the transition, and and remember what I told you?
0: Uh, to wait. tell your
3: mom, whisper oh. in her ear? Because, you know, I mean, we didn't talk ever since she left. I mean, it just faded out, vanished. I mean, I'm just, I was years. a non I was non-existent. You know, even though I was there with Rachel and Karina, but it was like I wasn't around. You know, so I never heard from her at all through the years or how the girls are doing anything like that, so... Um, but I told, you know, in terms of making peace... And so important to make peace within ourselves to the past, letting some things go and surrendering to some things. I told Karina, whispering your mom and tell her that I'm grateful that we created you two girls.
0: Yes, that was what it was. And I did tell her. And nodded. She nodded her head.
3: That was, she wasn't. you know, at least that kind of gave me a little bit of closure because it was unfinished for decades. But, yeah.
0: Okay. I hope that's helpful. Any other therapy questions?
3: <laughs> <laughs> the way I was able to help was realize it was important for me to make sure I took care of myself through all of this too and stayed healthy. And um trying to provide a safety, trying to be there and provide a safety net for my girls, you know, because I mean they have their own self-wills, you know, but letting them know that. I was there and I had a I was present because they dealt with absence of a parent already they you know their mother was absent so to to make sure they realized that I was present mm-hmm. I'll chime in here yeah as I
0: was a teenager my dad was also going through his own losing of his wife that he was married to for 25 years and stood by and without I and mean, he was always there and supportive but also I was of Fucking rebel. And <laughs> he had to deal with me and just everything. But our relationship was not great because my mother actually, you know, told me all of her schizophrenic <laughs> delusions, so turned me against my father. But he was there. We had a safe home. Our relationship was not great for many years. Um, but it was actually through seeing him heal and get married again, fall in love again with Beth, who's back here. That I was like, okay, I can overcome and I can be happy too. Now we're really close.
3: You know, you I don't know if you remember this, but on the day of my marriage to Beth, which was now twenty one years ago. Yeah. Um I remember as I was we were walking out of that church service, I remember what you said to me. I don't know if you remember that. what I say? You said, way to go, Dad. <laughs> yeah. You said Yeah, I see you may not remember that, but you said way to go dad and I kind of wow, mom, okay. <laughs> uh, right on. Truth and honesty is critical. I mean, uh, the uh principle of honesty something people struggle with. I think a lot of times the fear is what drives that. You know, people are quick to moralize, to judge. So do you
1: find that what they say, how they judge, mm-hmm. or what they project on you is mostly
3: what they feel about themselves. Yeah, yeah I see that a lot. You know, because that's a real classic defense mechanism in uh, with people struggling with uh, psychological conflicts and emotional uh, trauma and fear. Yeah, absolutely. That's a defense mechanism. Um
0: wrap this up and have my dad play some more music. But one of the biggest things I've learned, unless there's other questions, we will definitely take them. I took a course through NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, with my husband, Bobby. And one of the biggest things that we learned was finding empathy for someone with a mental health disease and recognizing and being able to separate what the disease is from how they're treating you. And I think with my mom... Maybe that makes me my high performing codependent. I don't know. I was able to separate it and still love her unconditionally. But finding that empathy and realizing, you know, with mental disease, it's the same as if you have a cancer or anything else, and breaking that stigma and still being able to love that person and give them the love that they deserve.
3: If I may just add we'll real quick to that, because the problem with what we run into, the challenge with the mental illnesses that are manifested, they just elicit such a strong response from everybody, maybe more so because of the way it comes at you behaviorally and attitudinally than other disease processes. And there's a lot of overlapping and interplay goes on emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually. It's a whole person effect.
0: Any other last questions? Oh, we haven't... uh, okay so um i've been with tone it up since 2013 and so we one of the things that has been really amazing isn't just the fitness but it's also the community because
1: like the tone it Up any girls we have like a group chat and we've gone on weekend retreats and we have all these different things where we can really share with each other and you know i'm sure you know that loneliness is like worse for you than smoking So, how did you and Katrina kind of hone in that that was like the missing piece for really being well and being healthy and not just
0: I'm working out. I'm I'm you know I'm on a cut. I'm eating twelve hundred calories a day. How did you guys put that in? Because it really I think set you set you guys apart. We met at a time where I was with someone for seven years and broke up with him. And she had just moved to Manhattan Beach and didn't have any friends. And we just met each other and had this vision around fitness and wellness. And it, it really just came naturally. I mean, that's what I think in life and every business venture, anything you do is what comes naturally to you. And, you know, becoming best friends and then sharing um, that fitness, you know, get up and work out together just it wasn't like an intention it literally was just a natural thing that you know being best friends and moving our bodies and creating community
1: uh well do you want to finish any other questions out or if there's anything else you'll be signing books after as well yes Yes.
0: Yes. i'm gonna sign books we'll take my dad's gonna go back on and sing there's snacks out there Um, yeah and i'll be out there in like 10 minutes and I'll sign books and hang out and chat. Thank you so
1: much for coming and sharing this with us. I hope everyone enjoyed the evening. Thank you. We'll see you out
3: there.
0: Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text Hero, to seven four one seven four one to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love. The type of love that will defeat anxiety. The type of love that defeats
2: depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to
1: dig in. To be who you already are. The big silence breathing, breathe out. Breathing, breathe out. The big silence breathing, breathe out. Breathing, breathe
0: out. The
1: big silence breathing, breathe out. breathe out. The
0: big silence breathing, breathe out. breathe out. The big silence, the big silence.